Welcome to the show, Paul George, Adam Conk. Good to be with you today, my friend. So good to be with Paul George. Yes. You know how many people would like to be with Paul George regularly? Well, just And one. here I am. I don't know if you like to be, but you... <laughs> well, some people are forced to be, you know. <laughs> like my family. Right. But some people, they're like, man, I'd love to see Paul George <laughs> weekly. You can't... And you, that's my life, man. You can't choose your family. That's true. Right. You can choose your friends, but not your family, which, you know, by the way... The holidays, there's Thanksgiving's coming up, so... There's a lot of people you can't choose at Thanksgiving. You can't. You just you just have to go with it, and, you know, you got, you know, family's family, you family's know? Family. And, but then there's circles of family. There's, like, immediate family, then there's, like, you know, extended... Preach it. Close Preach family, it. then there's... Then there's next levels, <laughs> and I think there's, there's a point where you can decide, like, how many levels deep of family do you go? Right. And right. do you dig in with... You know, but immediate family, like that's, you know, you, you're stuck with them. Yeah. And, and that could be good, hard, whatever. But, but you know what, honestly, it's where, it's where we're all called to love first, mm-hmm. you know, like if we can't love our flesh and blood, <laughs> think about that, you know, um, but anyway, so, well, on the Lego Batman movie, they say friends are the family you can choose. Yeah. And I choose you, Paul George. I choose you. All right. So I was just on a trip to St. Louis, Missouri. <gasps> All right. And I don't know if this is a have you seen or did you know. Well, let's just play it anyway. Okay. What did you say? That is so interesting. Oh, for real, though? Well, ha- have you seen the sights in St. Louis? The sights? Yeah. Have you been? You know, they have oh, the famous arch. Well, and I they have. You know. I was I did drive through it one time mm-hmm. and I got a glimpse of you some things. Drove through the arch? No. By I the saw arch. it from afar. So um, this isn't a have you seen, this is a, a did you know? Wow. So you're gonna educate me. No, not really. <laughs> Maybe a little bit. Okay, so I was speaking at this conference and the Archbishop uh did the closing mass mm-hmm. and uh gr- he did great. It, um and uh so he uh, proceeded to tell us, which I didn't really realize this, so I didn't know, now I do, is that the Archdiocese of St. Louis is considered the Rome of the West. Really? That's its reputation. It's kind of got this name. And I asked a, a priest who's not from there, where's the Rome of the West? And he said St. Louis. So I he had, confirmed. I had no idea. So here's why. They have uh, the most uh, religious orders of any diocese in the country. You're kidding. No. It's like over 200 religious orders. Like in, different types of yes. orders? Whoa. How crazy is that? That's pretty strong. Yeah. So the amount of vocations, religious orders, people who respond to the faith, you know, the that strong, you know, Christian, Catholic, Midwest faith is like really, you know, alive there still. You know, in some ways we can relate a little bit to that, you know, down here in South Louisiana. Yeah, some people call us the Holy Land of the West. But here's what we Latvia. can't relate to is, um, I think we have, a, a, you know, we don't have that many religious orders. No. You know, in we our have diocese, some. No. Yeah. But I mean, over 200, like that's, we're not that's even wild. close. Like yeah. we're lucky to have two, right? Right. And most dioceses are lucky to have a couple of religious orders. Right. You know, um, you know, I've spoken to people, you know, all over and maybe young people, teenagers, and, and uh, they've told me, you know, I've never seen a religious sister in my life, you know, and they see one, you know, or, or a whatever, a, mm-hmm. a monk or a, a brother, you know, it's crazy that 
mm-hmm. that in some ways, like, and there's some places where that's that's like foreign. Yeah, and it's a shame because I think the health of the church can be gauged by both ends of the process. So one end is RCIA, like, are we bringing in new Catholics? But then on the other end, it's religious life, consecrated life. Like, are those Catholics eventually willing to give everything to Jesus? Not that everybody's going to do that, but are people among us willing to give everything to Christ and follow him into consecrated life? And um, so to me, those two statistics, how many are in RCA and how many are in religious life, are uh, pretty important for the health of the church. Yeah, no, absolutely. So so there, there you go. That is why I did not know that. Now you do. Man, now I'm a, I'm a little uh, proud there because St. Louis, of course, a French saint, mm-hmm. and is my middle name, Louis, Adam Louis Kong. Really? And, yep. And uh, I think that's not a coincidence. I think he is a powerful intercessor. Well, if, if I know any history, which I don't know a ton, I need to know more, is that um, prior to the Louisiana Purchase, St. Louis would have been a part of Louisiana. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like it yeah, was true. obviously the biggest territory. Louisiana was big, big. It was, that was the worst business deal ever. <laughs> and I don't know how Louisiana shrunk to the size it is, but, you know, it could have been a lot bigger. They could have negotiated better. You know, St. Louis could have been a part of it. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, you know, if we would have had the art of the deal president back then, we could have kept Louisiana great again, but <laughs> it, got, it, got, it got trimmed down, yeah. Uh, speaking of uh, great again, uh, what a lead-in. Uh, the USCCB had their annual gathering. Yes. And I don't know if you keep In up Baltimore. with that online or mm-hmm. whatever, which was good because the archbishop who came to say the Mass, um, you know, was just really great. Like, just great homily, very personal, you know, very present, um, wonderful. And I know a lot of times on the heels of the those meetings can get a little tense. Mm-hmm. You, know, you know, if you're if you pay any attention out there that, you know, there's, there's a lot of fires out there globally in the church, Yeah, you know, a lot of division, a lot of, you know, with social media, people just, you know, say and do anything they want, just causing more and more chaos. And I don't know, I was fairly pleased with some of the things I was hearing from the meetings in a sense of there seems to be a growth and, uh, um, a, a push to more, you know, stronger leadership. Yes. Because I, I think one of the issues we've had in our church is that leadership is having a position over people. Like, that's that's kind of where we've seen it for a while, institutionally. It's yeah. like, oh, well, you know, well, this person who's in charge, they make the decisions. Which think, is exactly what Jesus taught. <laughs> <laughs> right. Seriously. But I think what's growing, and we saw this at the conference, is this idea that of what I like to think of as moral leadership, which is just, okay, I don't have a position of leadership, but the way I'm living is inspiring people to act a certain Mm -hmm. way. And the way I'm, so for example, the way I'm being a bishop or the way I'm being a father, the way I'm being a coworker is going to inspire people to act better. Yeah. This seems to be growing within the church institutionally, which is to me a great thing. Yeah, no, absolutely. So that's good to hear. So keep up with it. I don't know. I'll try to keep as much up to date with with some of the info out there. But you know, one thing I have realized, Adam, is that uh, I am having a hard hard time seeing these days. What? Yeah, like seriously, I never thought I'd get to the point where I think I need to enlarge the print on my phone. Oh, it's, like it's do that, that point, thing huh? where I've always looked at people who had the large print on their phone <laughs> and said, "God, you're old." <laughs> 
And I'm thinking, I may need to do that. There's no shame in that. There isn't? I do it out of convenience, to be honest with you. I like large text on my phone. I can see the small text, but it's so nice to just have big old words. Well, it really stinks not to be able to see. Oh. So, and then it came to head like the other day. I was trying to read. Now, this is extremely small, but I was trying to read the back of a medicine to give uh, my kid, one of my kids, a dose of medicine. Mm-hmm. And the print on the box was so small. I literally couldn't, I literally could not read the dosage, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know? And that's when you're like, oh, okay. So it's I, freaking I'm, you out. Yeah, it's kind of freaking me out. Well, I probably should just go get my eyes checked. Absolutely. You know? Um, all that being said, seeing is really important. Like, it's not something that you want to put off, right? Right. And, you know, I was reading in scripture recently and kind of working on this talk and really praying with this is, um, a lot of what Jesus talked about, what he what he came for, is to give us new sight, mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. A, like a like spiritual sight, and and we see a lot of these healings with Jesus and interactions with blind people. Um, it's and it's not just about the physical healing, right? It's about the spiritual healing. It's about the spiritual um, sight that people receive by coming to know Jesus. And, you know, the time that he spent with the disciples, I think a lot of that was, you know, like trying to get them on the same page to see what he sees. Yeah, and and I love your um, description of the medicine bottle because as powerful as sight is, we don't really notice our sight slipping away into like certain benchmarks, you know? Um, And so as we, those who follow Christ and we want to be close to him, we don't know what we can't see, you know? And like Christ is drawing us, he's calling us to that deeper vision to see what he sees, and we don't know what he sees. And I think one of the most dangerous things in the spiritual life is when we think we got this. Yeah. Like, I got this whole discipleship thing. I got this, you know, there's nothing more for me to see that I don't already see. Yeah, no, absolutely. Because if that were true, we'd be in heaven, right? Like, the Lord the Lord sees everything right. only. Yeah. Yeah. So here's a little caveat for the show, the rest of the show, if you're listening. Um you know, the topic today is really kind of a, a going deeper in discipleship and seeing what mm-hmm. Jesus sees. So if you if you really don't want to be serious about your discipleship, I don't know, like it's going to be challenging because these are some of the things that I'm wrestling with, you're wrestling with, we're talking about it because I think, you know, here here's the, here's the thing. At the end of the day, if the gospel doesn't make you feel a little uncomfortable, you're probably not reading it correctly. And I say all that to say that if I'm if I'm really reading the gospel and and really reading what Jesus says and interpret it through the lenses of the church, it it forces me to be really uncomfortable with with life, with decisions, with a lot of things, right? And that's not a bad thing. Uh but it's oftentimes really easy to just kind of read the gospel and just kind of pick and choose what we want to feel good about. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if Jesus just came just to make us feel good about it ourselves. I think he came to really challenge us. Yeah, I think uh, the gospels agree with that. And the tension between the challenge from Christ and where I am today, and when I feel this interior tension, what I do with that tension is so important. You know, like, am I going to take this tension and start to work with it. In other words, when I realize, oh man, 
the things I say to my spouse, to my kids, to my coworkers, to my friends, like the things I'm saying are not good. And like I, now I see, right? Like, so like the Lord brought me to a deeper vision. I see that my speech with others is not what it needs to be. What am I going to do with that tension? Am mm-hmm. I just going to ignore it? Or am I going to start to invest in changing that, that speech, changing that habit and, and beginning to become the person Christ is calling me to do. And this is the cross that Jesus talks about with discipleship. Unless you're willing to take up this cross, which right. is the hard stuff, the suffering, the dying to self, then you can't be my disciple. And this is where people leave Jesus. Yeah, no. And he makes some strong statements like that. And it makes us feel uncomfortable. We skip over it. But when Jesus talks about the abundant life, he means it. Like, he doesn't make that up. He wants us to have the abundant life. But the abundant life is is really manifested when we really do follow Christ. Like, when we're trying with everything that we have to live the life that he's calling us to live and to see the things that he sees, that's the abundant life. The abundant life isn't picking and choosing and making up, you know, sort of this, you know, you know individualized gospel that just kind of makes my life better. And then we stay hidden as Christians. We stay compartmentalized um, in what we want to do and believe and how we want to act. And I think a lot of these firestorms that are, you know, in the church and all over social media are a lot of people who just say stuff but don't live it. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of people who just, you know, uh, you know, are just, yeah, it's just, you know, integrity is really... The Christian integrity is, you know, what you say on the outside to the world, you're living on the inside when nobody's around, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, so, yeah, that's what we're going to go after. It's a real have you seen today. Have you seen what Jesus sees? All right, Paul and Adam, we'll be right back. The Paul George Show is made possible in part by our partners at Solidarity HealthShare. Solidarity is the Catholic solution to the healthcare problem. Are you paying too much for your healthcare cost? Solidarity HealthShare is a healthcare sharing ministry which provides an ethical way to fund healthcare costs while protecting and practicing our Catholic beliefs. Best yet, Solidarity HealthShare's members are exempt from the fines and penalties in the Affordable Care Act. Visit SolidarityHealthShare.org. That's SolidarityHealthShare.org. Welcome back to the show, Paul and Adam in studio, talking the art of living, the art of discipleship, really kind of a going a little bit deeper in discipleship in our walk, being a disciple, being disciplined in the Lord, following his ways, abiding in him, you know, learning to really walk uh, with Jesus consistently in our life. None of us are perfect at that, by the no, way. There, no. There's just, let me throw that out there. Um, and, I, you know, I, that's not... The goal is is to be right or perfect. The goal is is to follow. Yeah, to be faithful. To be faithful, exactly. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, so Luke ten twenty three says this. It says, then turning to his disciples, he said privately, "Blessed are the eyes that see what you see." Okay, so Jesus says this in in Luke ten twenty three. Um, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. So he's telling the disciples, like, like you're seeing things. Not everybody's seeing these. Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. And they're starting to see the things that Jesus is seeing. And 
it says this, uh, you know, right before that, it says, turning to the disciples, he said privately. Mm-hmm. This is a private conversation uh, with disciples about seeing what he's seeing, and blessed are the eyes that see what they're seeing. And what are, you know, what are they seeing? Um, you know, I think the reality is oftentimes we don't want to see what Jesus sees. Um, I don't I think it's one of two things. One, it's um, sphere, right? Uh, like if we really saw like fear, you know, lack of control, we might have to surrender, let go. Mm-hmm. We might see some things in us that we need to change, mm-hmm. and that we don't want to do that. We might see some things in the world or in our neighborhood or whatever that we need to uh, respond to, but we don't want to. Fear, you know. Uh, kind of creeps in. I think that's, you know, I think a lot of a lot of Christians just kind of stand on the edge. Mm-hmm. You know, myself included at times. Like I'm, I'm not. This is not a judgmental statement. Yeah, and I think there's a tension between the world and and the kingdom of God that's in us. You know, Saint Paul, even in his greatness and in his commitment to the gospel, um, sin is in us and grace is in us, right? And the thing is, blessed are your eyes that see. That implies that the world doesn't see. Yeah. In other words, there's this tension between the way the world's going to see things and the way my disciples will see things. And if we follow him, we will not see things the way the world does. Right. And that's going to cause issues and that, sometimes. Yeah, you're right. It's going to cost us. You know, because another passage that's connected to with Luke 10:23 is in Matthew 16, 17, Jesus says, blessed are you, Simon, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven, right? Mm-hmm. So, so God is revealed. Let him see something. Not, it's, not everybody sees this. Uh, blessed are the eyes that see and what you see because you're following me. You're, you're living the life that I'm calling you to live. And yeah, not everybody's going to see it this mm-hmm. way. Uh, you know, you're right. The world doesn't oftentimes does not see through the lenses of Jesus, through Christ, through the Father. They just don't. And there there is tension. Yeah. So the tension for us is I, I don't I don't want to deal with the tension. I'm afraid. I don't know how to respond. And you know, I'll just I'll just you know there's fear mm-hmm. that creeps in. Uh, you know, and, and maybe that's just me. I think that the next thing is a little bit of apathy in the church. And when I say that is um you know, when I really, if I were to really see some things uh, that God revealed to me uh, individually, corporately, um, I, I think times I'm like, yeah, there's nothing I can do about that. So I'm just not. Mm-hmm. And we do that over and over. And then just apathy, media, mediocrity just kind of creeps in. We just kind of just become very lukewarm Christians. And then if you go back and you and you read what Jesus says about people being lukewarm, it's not positive. It's not a positive statement. Which, if that doesn't make you feel uncomfortable either, right? Like, mm-hmm. like Jesus says some pretty hardcore things that should make us feel uncomfortable for a reason. Because when he's calling us to discipleship, it's like no, there's there's some change that has to happen. And it's ongoing. And I got, I got to be honest, even myself, I think mediocrity, apathy about situations just often creeps in. I'm just like, no, I don't really know. I mean, I, I lo- totally. I'll follow Jesus, but I'm not going to do that because there's nothing I can do. And, you know. Totally. And that's why there's few canonized saints, right? Like those that were not apathetic 
that yeah. in whatever situation, because look, there's always a tough situation in the church and the world. There's always going to be the way God sees things and the way sinful men sees things, and this tension between the two. And those heroes among us that God raises up to say, <clears throat> no, this is this is not true, or this is true, and I'm willing to give my life for that. I'm willing to put myself on the line for that. I'm willing to give everything for the truth, and what God has revealed is true. Those are few and far between. Yeah. You know, and and I don't mean that in a bad way. I think that's by God's design that we He gives us these saints, these heroes to look to to imitate. Um, so we're not lulled into sleep as Christians, which is where a lot of us are. We just get lulled into there's nothing we can do about it. Right. And we just kind of fall asleep. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and you know, we, we all kind of kind of get stuck in ruts. We all kind of hit cruise control uh, in times. And, you know, I think these are times where mediocrity, apathy, lukewarmness, you know, we kind of tune it all out. And we just really Christian life becomes all about me, mm-hmm. you know, uh, because life's hard already. Right. You know, so, you know, I get it. You know, um, and I think this is, you know, why Jesus would say things. He, I think he would oftentimes like shocking the disciples back, like to wake up. Yeah. You know, like like the EKG, you know, on the chest. It's like, let me shock you back into not going back fishing. Mm-hmm. Like, let me shock you back into, hey, uh, you're not going back to your old ways. Like, you're going to sacrifice for me. You're even going to die, right? Like, just constantly shocking back. So... You know, I, I got to be honest in my own life about that, uh, because when Jesus says in turning the disciples, he said privately, I just find that real interesting because it's like, hey, this is a very private conversation with people who are willing and ready to follow me with everything they have. Blessed are the eyes that see what you see, because <clears throat> we were talking jokingly earlier about a situation uh, is that you can't unsee what you've seen. Right. Right, you can you could try to forget, but you can't unsee what you've seen, and that could be like, you know, like just something you laugh at, like you know, some old person trips in a parking lot, and you're just like, oh gosh, I can't unsee that. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm laughing about. It. I don't mean to. Um, you know, it could it could be anything. It could be sinful things that you've seen, mm-hmm. uh, and you know, you can forget. You can move on. You see, but there's certain things that. And that's the reality is that you can't unsee it. And this is what he's telling the disciples is you're going to see things. And guess what? You can't unsee them. Mm-hmm. And then once you can't unsee them, that's where the moral dilemma begins to happen. Yeah, because you have to do something. You, well, yeah, you either have to or you have to not, or you have to choose not to, right? right. Some, some type of decision right. is you're faced with. Yeah, and this is everything. I mean, are you going to follow Jesus or not? And when we see more clearly what Jesus is asking us to do, there's such a danger or a risk, if you will, because our salvation is now at risk. Like, are we going to follow Jesus again or are we not? Because following Jesus two days ago does not necessarily mean I'm going to follow him today. Mm-hmm. And it's following Jesus that is our salvation. It's not just that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. It's that I continue to follow this Christ who died on the cross for our sins and so there's a risk um, every day in following Jesus. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, we 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 can't unsee, right? And this is where mediocrity creeps back in. Because here's the thing: when we say yes to Jesus, follow Jesus, is that 
at the end of the day, as hard as we want to hear, don't want to hear this statement, is we forfeit our rights. Mm-hmm. That's what Jesus said, right? Like, don't, unless you can pick up that cross daily, just don't. Right. So, so we forfeit our rights. You know, we have a will to choose, but when we choose to follow Jesus, we forfeit our rights. Now, get this. Jesus comes and offers us salvation for free. Mm-hmm. Forgiveness of our sins for free. Right? Um, but, but there's a choice that we make in, in surrender to forfeit our rights and for our life now to be about Him, mm-hmm. about His will in our life, about His ways. We do that, we begin to see things in ourselves, in the world, in ways that we need to respond, ways that we need to act, things that we need to do. Um, and that's where, you know, it's like, oh no, this is, wow, okay. Like I'm literally seeing life through new lenses, not the old lenses, mm-hmm. you know? And like I need glasses, and when I put on readers, I'm like, oh, these are what words look like now. <laughs> this is literally what begins to happen in the spiritual life. When we begin to follow Jesus, things become clear. We begin to see things that, you know, see truth, see reality, see goodness, see beauty, right? And that changes us in a good way. And almost to the point where we're kind of disgusted by our old way in a little ways. Right? Yeah. Right. Which is a good thing. Which, you know, there's that famous story of uh, St. Francis later in his life throwing himself into the thorn bushes as penance for his past sins. You know, and here's a guy who did a lot of penance. I mean, he gave everything away. He's been living in poverty. He walked to the Holy Land to try to be martyred and then came back and he was able to see his sins in a new way even then, his past sins, and was contrite for them in a new way. And... um yeah, when we see better, there is an uncomfortable side to it. There's a reality to it where we see our sin more clearly the way God sees mm-hmm. it. And the more we see our sins, the more we see our shortcomings and our faults, the more contrition will actually rise in a genuine way. Because a lot of us, you know, we'll go to confession and, you know, we're sorry for sins, but like our contrition can use some work. Yeah. And a lot of that is vision. In other words, I don't see what God sees with my sin, with my faults, with with what I've where I've failed. Absolutely. I mean, and to be disgusted, to be to not want to, to to want to do better. Not that we're not going to fail. That's not true. It's it's to have that contrition of like I'm sorry. You know, I was working with a friend of mine who was going through an annulment process, right? And it was a clear a clear case of like you know annulment, um, and he was conversion, ready to move on, and it was beautiful, right? And his annulment got denied, and I said, well, what the heck, you know, like, why? And, you know, he's, I don't really know, so I read it. I said, you took no ownership. Like, you put all the blame on other people, the other person. And I said, a lot of that's true. I said, but you've taken no ownership. I said, go back and take ownership, and I guarantee you, I guarantee you, you're going to get your annulment. Sure enough. Boom. Hmm. Right? Like just this idea of like, yeah, even if I wasn't wrong, I'm wrong in some ways. I got to take some ownership in it. Um, you know, like like to be sorry. And, and, the, and the, I think that that's huge. Because here's the thing. What, what keeps us from seeing what Jesus sees? Ourselves. Yeah. I mean, our own sin, our own muck, our own brokenness, our own... 
like of healing our own like those are the things and anytime you feel like you're in sort of this spiritual desolation i guarantee you you're focusing on yourself me my you know what about me what about this and then then our sin begins to cloud our judgment and then we begin to justify it and then you know habits begin to justify the way we live and you know that just kind of begins to creep in before we know it um it's kind of like you you kind of say well you know what happened i, I i'm not seeing clearly anymore mm-hmm. you know it's yeah. it's like it's like the book of tobit you know like the bird you know pooped on on the on tobit tobit's eyes do you, do you know the yeah. the story right it's beautiful and he became blind Mm. Right, and the, this this analogy, the story is like that. That's it. Like we we often just get these crusty, disgusted eyes because of just you know, like life. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and I think there's there's two aspects to seeing what Jesus sees. And I think you're touching on like a very important one, which is: are my eyes healthy? You know, like am I, or am I virtuous? Am I um, turning from sin? Am I Am I doing the things daily I need to do to keep my spiritual sight attuned and healthy? And then the other aspect is what Jesus actually wants to show us. So, for example, in um, at the end of the Gospel of John, he says, there's so much more I have to tell you, but you couldn't bear it now. You would explode. Right? Like it would blow your mind. So there are things Jesus actually wants to show us that he's not because we're not ready. And what does that mean? That means either it's not the right time in our life. In other yeah. words... The, the story of our life that he has already written, there is a time where this is the best time to show you my will for you or what I'm doing, and it's not yet. And that's hard sometimes. That's hard. I mean, when I was... To wait for that. When I was 18, if God would have just revealed and said, Paul, you're going to be married, you're going to have five kids, I would have told him no. <laughs> and I was trying to follow Jesus at 18. Mm-hmm. But I would have been like, no. Mm-hmm. Five kids, married... I don't want that responsibility. I'm not ready for that. You see what I'm saying? Like, yeah. like there's a there is a, a a timing to things. There is an unfolding. And I think often, you know, what you're saying is that we're very uncomfortable with the moment, with knowing mm-hmm. in the moment what we know and living in that. Like Jesus loves me right now today. I don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. Right. Oh no! And then I freak out, and then I just kind of like take a step back, right? Instead of trusting. Yeah, and the saints who had very healthy eyes, like they they were spiritually attuned, right? Like they had, they were in right order themselves. They did not know everything. I mean, think of the Blessed Mother is the best example. Like her discipleship walk, there was not a taint of sin or um, malformation or anything, right? And her life was one of coming to see new things yeah. constantly. You know, this is the Christian walk. It's part of our our walk that we don't know the future. We don't know the things God has in store for us, but we say yes to whatever it is, which is what she did. And there are going to be moments where it becomes clear, like the Annunciation or the foot of the cross or things that happen in our life where it's like, oh, that's what God has in mind. Yes. Right. You know, but we have to be patient. It's something I'm learning in my life. Like there are going to be times where God on purpose will not show us things. We won't see clearly what he wants from us in the future, but then he will show us one day. Yeah. Like it no, will happen. I'm glad you brought that up because then you have Joseph in the story, you know, which, you know, a lot of people can relate to. I can't, 
you know, the first time Mary tells him that, you know, she's pregnant, I mean, he's going to leave her. He does mm-hmm. not see God's plan. Right. Right? You can't see it. And, and he's a faithful guy. Like, he's a good, righteous man. Like, we know that from tradition. But he's like, nah, 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 nah. This is way too much for me. But I'm not going to, like, expose you. I'm just going to leave. Mm-hmm. Right? And, hello? Like, I probably would have done the same thing. Yeah. Right? But God intervenes and shows up with an angel. And Joseph's like, wait, what? Okay, I'm seeing things differently. Mm-hmm. Right? And all he knows right then is to go to Bethlehem. You know, they got the census. They're going to stay together. Jesus is going to be born. He's just, that's all he knows. He has no idea what he's going to do next. And then God comes to him again and says, oh, you need to go to Egypt. Wait, what? We're not from Egypt. We don't live in Egypt. Go to Egypt. How long? Until I tell you. Right? Mm -hmm. That's what he says. Yeah. Until I tell you. Until Herod dies, I'll come back and tell you when to leave. That's all he knows. He packs up his wife and his child gets on a donkey, and goes to Egypt, right? One step at a time of God revealing him, just saying, yes, okay, I see the next part. I see the next plan. I'm just going to, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to be faithful. That, that guy, the, I, I want to be that guy. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I want to be that guy. That great disciple. Our, our newest saint, St. Saint John Henry Newman, he spoke often about this fidelity to discipleship, meaning God has already shown you things. Like you have duties and responsibilities and things that God has asked you to do. Lord, help me be faithful to what he's already shown me. Right here. Instead of focusing on what I hope he shows me one day. Hmm. But like he's already put things in front of me. Like for St. Joseph in that situation, God showed up in a dream with an angel. This is what you're going to do. And there's a lot of questions for down the road. Like, okay, well, you know, there's... There's a lot of consequences, I'm sure, going through his mind. But he knew what God asked him right then and there. And, you know, St. John Henry Newman would say, Lord, grant me the the fidelity to what you've already revealed. Yeah. What you've told me I need to be doing. The duties that are already in place. Because that's where discipleship is. Jesus doesn't ask us to follow things he's going to tell us or things he's going to show us. He asks us to follow what he's already revealed. You know, in our hearts, in our prayer, but also corporately in the church, like, Morally and other things, he asks us to be faithful to what he's actually revealed to us. Amen. All right, so we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about what is it that Jesus sees that we could see. All right, Paul and Adam, be right back. The Paul George Show is made possible in part by our partners at Solidarity HealthShare. Solidarity is the Catholic solution to the health care problem. Are you paying too much for your health care cost? Solidarity HealthShare is a health care sharing ministry which provides an ethical way to fund health care costs while protecting and practicing our Catholic beliefs. Best yet, Solidarity HealthShare's members are exempt from the fines and penalties in the Affordable Care Act. Visit SolidarityHealthShare.org. That's SolidarityHealthShare.org. Welcome back to the show in studio. Adam Conk. Such a great show today, Paul. Thank you for... Pablo Jorge. For this show. You know, when you said John Henry Human, I I, I couldn't help but uh, like think of the French Henri. Henri? <laughs> the, oh, for Henry? Henri. Henri, yeah. Henri. Henri. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's that, good. Some people say Henri. I guess in French it'd be Jean Henri. Jean Henri. Newman. Can you imagine having that name? <laughs> That's a lot different than John uh, Jean, Henry Newman. Yeah, John Henry Newman. <laughs> Welcome to the stage, John Henry Newman. 
Jean-Henri. <laughs> Jean-Henri. <laughs> Jean-Henri. That would be a much better name. It's exciting. It's an it's, exciting name. Yeah, I mean, you would automatically, you know, they say like when someone speaks in like an Australian or, you know, English accent, like people have more of a tendency to tune in, like listen. Really? Yeah, like their voice is easier and better to listen to. I have to agree with that. Um, Like that's just like a, a study, you know. Man, I feel so inadequate now. I know. Like, I often wish I had an accent. Maybe would, I'll, I'll kick like, my accent and start doing a British one. Yeah. You would become an overnight speaker. You know, now that you say that, I'm thinking of a couple of Catholic speakers in particular with accents that are, like, killing it. Yeah. And that, yeah. That maybe that's why. Yeah, no, totally. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. Jean-Henri. <laughs> I hear to talk about Jesus. But I don't know about French. English speaking with a French accent might not work right. here. Yeah, I don't But know. English accent, Australian accent, killer. Hmm. Yeah, British. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which John Henry Newman is Total very... Total British accent. English. Dude, let's do this. You know, there's nothing more English than, than John English. Henry <laughs> Newman. <laughs> That's pretty good. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, what what did Jesus see? Like, you know, what, what did Jesus see that as disciples he's calling us to see or that as we follow him we begin to see... I mean, we could certainly go on forever. Um, but the first thing I know is that Jesus sees us as an individual. Like Jesus, you know, although he he healed people and he spoke um, with the disciples, he saw each of them individually. Like, and you, you get a glimpse of this as he has individual conversations with Peter, with Thomas, with John, you know. He sees us. Jesus sees us individually. Um, that's what Jesus sees. The first thing that Jesus sees in relation to is he sees us. Now, what does he see in us? Because he doesn't just see the exterior like Jesus sees us. So when we begin to see like Jesus sees, then, then we begin to see ourselves, right? Mm-hmm. The way Jesus sees us. And maybe that reveals some things like some healing in our life, some brokenness, things in the past that we need current situations or decisions or habits that we need to see and be honest about mm-hmm. because Jesus looks at us, still loves us, but he sees, he sees, and it's like, Hey, like, you know, like St. Paul says, you know, whoever's in Christ is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, new things have come. Like, there's new life. Like, let's move forward. Let's just not stay here. This is not judgment. This is not condemnation. This is, hey, this is what I see. Now you see what I see. Uh, and now that you see it, let's move forward. Let's make some changes. Yeah, there's an ancient devotion, scriptural uh, practice of the holy face of Jesus, like being dev- devoted to the holy face. And one part of that devotion is where when you're reading a gospel or meditating, you actually try to imagine and you ask the Holy Spirit to help you imagine the face of Christ. And for me, it's been powerful at certain moments in my life to think, like, Jesus looking at me. Like, what would that look like? Like, if I was there and he just turned his gaze to me in this situation, and his gaze must have been powerful, because how many times did his gaze alone transform everything? And I think its its power comes from what you're talking about, because unlike every other gaze, unlike every other person who might look at me, he's the one who actually sees me. Hmm. 
for who I am. Like he right. sees me the way God sees me because he is God. No one else has that gaze and it's powerful and it's healing and it's transformative. It's also very scary. It is transformative. It's not judgmental. I you know, I don't want people to think that what Jesus sees in us he's, is disgust. No. No, like like God is love. God loves us. God sees through our imperfections. That's why he came to save us, for mm-hmm. goodness sakes, to, to redeem us, to set us free, right? If we weren't worth saving, he wouldn't have created us. But the <laughs> yeah. point is this, is that Jesus also wasn't comfortable with Peter staying as a fisherman, mm-hmm. with Peter staying in his dysfunction, was saying, hey, Peter, like, let's let's work through this. This is going to be tons of conversations, by the way, and this is going to be tons of work. Um, but at the end of your life, you're going to be better then than you are now. Like, let's work through this, right? And we and it's what we love about Peter. We see mm-hmm. the fails of Peter. That's why we're attracted to Peter. We see him stumble and fall and get up. We see him sink and not walk and walk and sink and get back up, right? That's what we enjoy about Peter, and that's our life too, is moving forward a little bit in Christ. And I, I think, you know, for us as Christians, it's like, oh, I do all these exterior and I go to church now um, because I had this conversion or follow Jesus, um, but I'm not, gonna, I'm not gonna look at myself. Mm-hmm. I'm not gonna look at any of the things in my life and make changes around them. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna do all the things. Yeah, I mean, that, that is such a Christian temptation to say, I have a lot of issues and things wrong with me or whatever, but I'm not even going to worry about it because Christ has redeemed it. Right. <laughs> I'm just going to... I'm forgiven. Keep my head... Yeah, I'm forgiven. I'm keeping my head down. Keep going. I mean, those aren't mutually exclusive. Christ has forgiven me, but he's also calling me to follow him interiorly and to become holy and to become healthy and to become more the person... Because who does Christ see when he looks at me? He sees me in heaven for all eternity, the one he's created to be forever in heaven... That's not who I am today. And so there's a point A and a point B to this, right? So like Christ also sees that journey that he's calling me to interiorly. um, And only he sees that journey. No one else in my life knows the path from A to B, from where I am now to to the one he's called me to be for all eternity in heaven. He's the only one who knows that. And it is an interior journey as much as an exterior one. Yes. You know, it's kind of like with our kids, like even as they get older, like I, like I always see my older kids as this, you know, this beautiful little kid. Like, mm-hmm. I, like my image of them as a father is always like, they're my kid. Mm-hmm. Like it doesn't matter what they do, say, or do. And yeah, there's times where maybe I'm aggravated or whatever, but I don't see them differently. I just see them in love, and oftentimes have a hard time seeing them as a, as adults. And just remember seeing them as this innocent child that I just, you know, when they were born, right? And and I, I think, you know, the Lord just looks at us in love and his gaze is pure. Um, but it's so pure that it shines light on us. It illuminates our hearts and all the, you know, I, I just remember the slow transition of moving from all the old ways in my life and, and that struggle and the grind and maybe even going to counseling and having mentors and coaches and praying and you know it 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 takes time but it's like oh man it feels so much better that was like a huge weight off of me like i don't Mm -hmm. i didn't have to do that or live that way or make those choices or see those things and you know what i'm saying Mm -hmm. so so i i it's not an overnight thing this is a journey like we said with peter Uh, but it's important for us as christians as disciples when jesus sees 
uh, for us to see what he sees is to look at our own lives first um, and and begin that healing journey, that that life of redemption. Yeah, he talked about removing the plank from your own eye so you could see clearly enough to remove the splinter from the Move. other. So we all have planks in our eyes, right? And he's commanding us. Like this wasn't a suggestion of discipleship, but he command remove the plank from your own eye. So what? You can see clearly enough, you know? And so part of the Christian walk is a commitment to getting that plank out of my eye. Yeah. <laughs> what else does Jesus see? Uh, he sees uh, he sees others. Like he sees other people. He sees pain in other people. He sees hurt and uh, he sees rich people, poor people. He sees the guy next door. He he sees our neighborhood. Like he sees other people. And when when we start to see what he sees in others, I always say like there's there becomes sort of this this burden on our heart mm-hmm. to 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 love other people the way Jesus does. We don't always know how to respond, but we see compassion more than judgment. It's like, oh, Jesus sees that person, that situation, that hurt, that pain, and now I see it, oh no. And a lot of it has to do with vision. I, I've been impressed by my life where like, maybe there's somebody in my life who's getting on my nerves or I just don't understand or, you know, it's it, it's there's tension between us or whatever, and then I meet their parents or like a parent and for some reason meeting that parent and seeing how they talk interact whatever helps me to understand and see the person differently and it takes a lot of the emotional uh residue that i've built up over time it just goes away and the reason is because i understand the person better i see the person more clearly right seeing where they come from now I get it. And it's not even like, oh, well, that's why they're so messed up at all. It's just now I have the relational context of this person. And a lot of times we just treat people like these little things that popped up in the universe yeah. with no context. But if we take the time to get to understand and to see, then they make more sense to us and we will be more moved to, to love them like the Lord because the Lord knows the context. He knows why this person is suffering. He knows the family dynamics. He knows like everything about it. And a lot of times we just let people tick us off without any interest into the context of why they did what they did or said what they said. Not that they, that explains it or excuses it, but understanding people allows us to love them well. And if we can't see, if we don't understand, we can't love well. Right. Well, the context is that God created. Mm. God created every human being, right? In his image and likeness. We can't be a Christian and not understand that and right. not see that, right? So God created everyone in his image and likeness, and everyone's imperfect. Everyone... Even me, Paul? Yeah. Everyone <laughs> has fallen short. And so to see what Jesus sees is to see that person, that neighbor, that that enemy, God created them, and he created them out of love. And, and <clears throat> now I'm, I got to see through God's lens, and yeah, they're broken, but... You know, I often say is where is where is God putting compassion and a burden on your heart to to love the people around you? Mm-hmm. You know, like your neighbor, your family, your kids, your spouse. Like that's the place to start. 
And probably, like you were saying, is like when we have such tension and anger around it, is well, one, we've probably been hurt, but two, we're not seeing those people the way Jesus sees them. Mm-hmm. And when we really begin to see people the way Jesus sees them, it, it has a way of converting our heart to love them differently. Yeah. Well, to continue the analogy, everyone is like God, which is hard to admit about some people in our life, maybe. But the things we're made in his image and likeness, he's our daddy, right? Yes. Just like meeting our earthly parent helps make sense of people. If I know your heavenly parent, like you were created in this person's image. If I don't know God well enough, I can't see God in you. But if I do know God, if I see the Father, if I see, you know, I can see even in the most difficult people in my life, I can see resemblance yeah. of God and appreciate that and understand that. Because that's what God sees. He sees his image and likeness in every person. Yeah, I mean, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree, right? And we don't, we don't Is that fall, an original sin joke? fall far from, uh, <laughs> from, from God. Like, if you were to sit down with my parents, you'd be like, I totally understand Paul. Right, like I, same like here. I yeah. totally get it. Like I am my dad, by the way. You know, any conversation with my dad, it's like, it's oh, a, that's you know, and and that's you know, that's good. That's, that's beautiful. Human. You know, it's human, but you can also say, well, man, I understand his bad habits, or I understand, mm-hmm. you know, and and yet I have compassion because I can see that he's, you know, but you know, God is our Father, and apple doesn't fall far from the tree, but the enemy will kick that apple as far as he can, so that yeah. we forget. Well, he'll call it an orange. It's yes. like every everything in you is actually not from God. Everything about in Amen. People, we might buy into that. Right. But it doesn't make us not like God. Right. Yeah. And our and our response as as disciples is to help people rediscover where they came from. Right. Right? You're an apple. You're an apple. <laughs> and you came from here. And he's your father. Mm. Right? And so to have that that type of passion and burden um so when Jesus doesn't just see us, he sees other people. And as a disciple, this was the transition that happened uh, with the apostles is, oh, they begin to have compassion for people, mm-hmm. for the world, and a burden to share Jesus with other people. Yeah. So you can't, now you can't disconnect the Great Commission with the Christian life. You can't just say, oh, I'm going to just, me and Jesus... And oh yeah, and not do anything else. Yeah. Like because the Great Commission and the Christian life are they're one and the same. I love that you're bringing this up because there was this recent situation in the church where a bishop in um, South America basically said he's he's glad he's not baptizing people. It's better to leave them alone with their like pagan faith. Mm-hmm. This really disturbed me for a bit, and I had to think about it. But you're right. Like one aspect of that is a lack of vision. Like, do you not see what God sees about people and, like, why God created a a church, why he sent us to begin with? And it's to reclaim his children as apples, like, to to educate people on who they really are. It's not to bring them something foreign to them. It's not to destroy something that's already there. It's actually to save what's there. Absolutely. My wife and I actually were talking about this. We were giving a, a talk on parenting at a church, and... She said, you know, parenting is like planting seeds, you know, and I want people to know that just planting seeds. And I said, yeah, that's a great analogy. I said, actually, parenting is more like watering seeds. It's more like cultivating the land. Mm-hmm. The seeds planted, you know, at baptism. Like God created us in his image and likeness. Like 
everyone has a seed of God, of goodness in them. And as a, as a parent, we're, we're called to water that that's already there. And in, in people in the world where it's not, their crops aren't growing, that plant's not, that seed's down there, but it's just, it ha, it's hidden, mm-hmm. you know? And for us as Christians, like, like this is what, you know, Paul talked about, some, some plant, some water, you know, uh, as disciples. Like, you got to pray about what's your response to the world? What's your mm-hmm. response to the people around you? What's your response to your community, to your neighborhood, to your family? You can't separate not responding from being a Christian. Like, like you just can't. And that's where it begins to get uncomfortable. And we get on soapbox here, but prove me differently, and I'll quit talking about it, because you can't separate the two. So for all of us, it's praying and discerning, God, how do you want me to respond Show me the things you want me to see. Because, Adam, like you might see things that I don't, and God's calling you to respond to the world in a way that he's not calling me. Right. But he's calling me to see things and to respond to. And I love the idea of calling to see because, again, vision is a grace. Like Christ is a grace. It's It's not like if all of us were just better people, we'd all see the same things. Yeah. It's actually very personal. Yeah. God is going to show things to you, Paul. Mm-hmm. He's going to show things to me, Adam. He's going to sh- that are unique to us and a grace to us and have to do with our calling in life. Yeah. And I, I think you're right that discernment begins with vision. If we're going to pray and discern anything, but if we're going to pray and discern like how to respond to people, how to respond to what God's calling us to, it has to start with, God, what have you shown me? Yeah. What do I see right. that you've shown me? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And look, you know, when there's famine in, around the world, like, I want to be able to see it and have compassion, maybe some pray about what my response is. But I know right now, like, I'm not called to live in China mm-hmm. in, the, in an impoverished area and serve those people. But it doesn't mean I can't see and have compassion and maybe even support a missionary who's there. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, so don't close my eyes, but help me to go beyond that to see the ways that I'm called to respond. Mm-hmm. Like, Lord, show me. Give me the grace, like, in the moment. Oh, am I supposed to talk to that person? Am I supposed to pray with that person? Am I supposed to reach out to that person? Am I supposed to just smile to that person? Am I supposed to give money to this situation, right? And what, Lord, help me to see, and then past that is help me to know how to respond to discern that, right? Yeah, and I think you're touching on just the heart of discipleship, which is, I see Jesus leading me every day. Yeah. Because it's not just that we all become very virtuous people. People were doing that before Jesus. You know, like the Greeks, for example. Aristotle's talking about virtue without Jesus. Right. Becoming, you know, more just and more temperate. And those are good things to do. And we should be seeing those things. But you don't need the gospel to become a virtuous person in the sense of the good news of the gospel is not just we should all be virtuous. Yeah. The good news of the gospel is Jesus is alive and in my life and calling me with virtue to follow him into very personal, specific places. Mm -hmm. Like, come with me here. Go with me there. Do this. The disciple is able to see, hear, and follow Jesus into those areas he's calling. If I'm just trying to become a good person generically, I'm not being a good disciple. Yeah. And that's the thing, I think, for all of us listening. And look, these are the things I'm wrestling with. Like, Lord, help me to see the things in me that you see to grow. And Lord, help me to see the things that you see in the world that you're calling me to respond to. And mm-hmm. give me the grace to respond. Give me the 
the grace of love to respond because that is the difference. Like God gives us the grace. You know, we can be good without God, but we can't be great. You know, we Mm -hmm. can have virtue without God, certainly, but we can't live that virtue totally and completely because God's Holy Spirit, God's grace in our lives helps us to do the things that we can never do on our own, Mm -hmm. plain and simply. And discipleship is leaning into God and rely on his grace to do things for Jesus that we can never do on our own without him, plain and simply. So that's the invitation. Lord, help us to see what you see and put that into action. Man, great show. Thanks for listening in. Um, support the show on discoverthelordofliving.com. Thanks to all our sponsors and Adam uh, for being here today. Um, you can find the show on iTunes, Google Play, and uh, share it, love it, like it. I don't know, whatever else. Talk to you next week. God bless.